everybody. Welcome back to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. As always, this is your boy Rick. Wait, something doesn't feel right. Somebody's missing. I there's like a void right now. I don't. There there's a big void. There's a huge gap, and I don't mean that in size either. But there's a huge fucking gap right now. Rick's not here. There's another person that's not here, too. I think his name starts with a J, if I'm correct. Double J? Jeff Jarrett? I think it's Jarrett. Two J's. Yeah. Yeah, Double J Jeff Jarrett. Isn't he supposed to be here? Something like that. I mean, I'm, I don't think we have to spell it out for him, but yeah. he knows who he is. But anyway, guys, this is a new series conducted by yours truly, Dan the Beast, and the DVD Freak. We are here doing a 2002 yearly pay-per-view rundown and to start it all off we're doing the royal rumble uh the royal rumble took place january 20th 2002 in the phillips arena in atlanta georgia with a uh, attendance of over 16,000 fans um you know what the, despite the card being relatively weak um this night was all about built on the royal rumble match and triple h's return um, but overall, I think this was a pretty good rumble. DVD Freak, your thoughts? Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me on, as always. Of course. But, you know, the second you asked me to do a 2002 series, I'm like, dude, of course. This is my favorite year for WWE slash WWF for four months. But, yeah, this rumble... You know, it it has kind of a weak undercard, but it has a very, very strong Rumble match. So it kind of evens out. You know, this Rumble match, it built stars. It set up WrestleMania. And you had Triple H, who, you know, he returned at the Garden and got this humongous reception. So he was he was really over, believe it or not, at this time. You know, coming back from the quad injury... And he was your guy going into WrestleMania. And this built WrestleMania 18 perfectly. And arguably, this was probably considered one of the greatest ovations. Um, You know, this took place, you know, live. And, you know, once it shook the whole building, you heard Motorhead's music. Triple H came out. And this was really a time WWF was red hot. You know, yep. this was after the demise of WCW, ECW. At least all the stars from those brands were acquired by the WWF. But this year, in particular, this year was roughly the year where they really started to acquire the bigger names, um, especially after the Time Warner contracts. And um, we want to really get into that uh those superstar signings until probably like the following months leading up to WrestleMania. So going on here, let's, uh, let's begin with this pay-per-view, shall we? I'm sure this is something that you guys have been all been waiting for. Uh, something that you guys, so, you know, something new. And this is what me and DVD freak are going to be presenting to you guys. Um, at least once a week, uh, leading up to the final pay-per-view, which will be Armageddon 2002. And pretty much, we'll just do a whole rundown of the entire year 
of you know what our favorite pay-per-view was favorite matches greatest moments because uh, this was definitely one of my favorite years of all time as well so going into the first match a very weak match and the only reason i would say this was a weak match was because the, the team that was holding the world tag team titles i would say was a very un you know a very forgettable reign you know nobody really remembers these guys holding the world tag team titles at this time but you had Taz and Spike Dudley defending the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Titles against the Dudley Boys. And this match was only five minutes and six seconds. Yeah, um, it's a decent opener, but that's really kind of all it is. It's to get the crowd hyped up. You know, you had great pyro show. I, I remember I watched this back last night. I was like, holy shit. Like, I love that. Because, you know, nowadays you have that very choreographed pyro. This was back when you had explosions. Like, that's all it was. <laughs> and, you know, this is a good, you know, it, it's a WWF title match. A tag team title match at the Royal Rumble. You know, that's, it's a decent opener. I personally love the Dudleys. I love the dynamic of Spike Dudley being against the Dudley boys. And it's one of the few times you actually see all three of the WWF Dudleys in the ring at the same time. You know, okay. I always thought... You know, Taz was kind of just thrown in there because, yeah, he was an ECW guy. And they really didn't have too much for him. I would have rather have seen him in the Rumble match, personally. Right. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, the Dudleys were mainly in control of this match. They practically dominated the whole match. Um, some of the... Um, some of the spots that Bubba was taking, you know, some of the cells, he, he just looked like a big floppy fish, you know, flying yeah. in the middle. Especially after taking a, a punt kick to the head by Taz. I was just like, what the hell was that? Um, but surprisingly, Taz and Spike pick up the victory. Um, despite the uh, distraction attempt by Keebler, uh, Taz slapped the Taz mission, tapping out Devon, and made them retain the titles. Uh Solid opener. It definitely wasn't the best opener, but for a WWF pay-per-view and a match card at that time, um, I, I really don't think the fans really cared what type of match it was. Well, I mean, I've always called it Royal Rumble Syndrome. Right. You know, it's you're there for the Rumble match, so you really have to scramble together to put an undercard together. So... You know, a lot of fans, let's be honest, they're not there for the world title matches. And that shows you the importance of the Royal Rumble match. But, you know, like you said, I love Bubba Ray's selling. Like, uh, I, I love his selling. The, the face he makes whenever he takes a chair shot to the head, I always laugh. Like, I, I love it. You know, this is, like you said, a solid tag team championship opener. But... To me, it just kind of feels like an episode of Monday Night Raw in 2002. Yeah. You know, I could have, I, I would have rather have seen Taz in the Rumble, to be honest with you. But, but you know, going into uh, the Royal Rumble match that we didn't discuss in the beginning of this show, uh, during the packaging, they hyped up four returning superstars. 
for this Royal Rumble match, which, you know, I can't complain. You know, these four guys heading into this Royal Rumble making their comeback. Um, definitely what made the Royal Rumble so special. Um, you had the return of Goldust, who ironically came in at number two. Yes. Uh, you had Val Venus before he was renamed as the Big Val Bosky, which I never understood why they did that. It just kind of baffled me. You had the Godfather, the returning Godfather, you know, all rights are censored, and that was pushed to the side after Undertaker killed him off. And that was practically it. He, you know, he got his hose acquired, and uh, he walked out with 12 beautiful ladies. Dude, and- I, I, I fucking love... He draws his number. He comes out, goes back, brings out more hoes, and then goes back again for more yeah. hoes. It's just, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff, you know, it's just, it's gold. I love that kind of stuff. And, you know, Goldust, he is one of my all-time favorite WWF characters. And I say WWF because... You know, in his WWE days, nowhere near as good as his WWF days. Of course. And, you know, obviously we would see glimpses of, like, Goldust progressing later on, especially as he gets older. Um, He definitely had a lot more ring awareness. He started to articulate more of a, I want to say high fire, but a more technical moveset. You know, you've seen him doing hurricanas and just shit you would never see him do in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, but on to the last entry who made their surprise appearance was probably one of my favorite entries in this Royal Rumble match, and that was, of course, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Oh, my which, God. You know, at this time, I might as well talk about this now. Because I did mention this in the wrestling DVD room, and I had always, you know, I wanted people's thoughts and feedbacks on Kurt Henning's return in 2002. When he came back, obviously he had a good ovation, and that could have been a great career resurgence in the WWF, especially the fact that he was one of the final three in the Rumble match. Yeah, that's like it's one of those things that it's kind of. It's sad. You know, it's... I love seeing Kurt Hennig, man. And to see him in the final three, like, you, you fucking deserve that. Like, because, like, I remember watching it as a kid. I was like, oh, man, they're just going to get rid of him. But to see him go to the final three kind of makes you teary-eyed. Yeah. Because, like, dude, you deserve that spotlight. I personally, I wish he was part of the final two. But I understand. Stone Cold, Triple H, you know, and... You know, and Kurt Angle, you know, obviously they're the stars you want to make. So Kurt Angle and Triple H, those are the two you want to kind of encapsulate here. But seeing Kurt Hennig in this match, he got screen time. He got some good spots. He got the perfect plex, even though he didn't go for the pin. Dude, that's one of those ones, because I watched this last night. I was like, you know, good for you, uh... man. And, and looking back at his history, too, when he came back at this Royal Rumble, that was only his second appearance in a Royal Rumble match since 93. Yeah. So that was kind of ironic. And then you figure him coming back around that time, like I said, big career resurgence he could have had. And the amount of talent that they had at that time. Just think of the matches. You had Kurt Angle. 
you had Steve Austin. He did have a match with Edge. I mean, it was a Sunday night heat match, but he got that off the bucket list. I get well, my bucket list, I would you would say. Yeah. Um, but just numerous guys that he had the opportunity to work with. And then just within a matters of just after getting rewarded his WWF contract after the rumble, he would be released. I believe it was May 5th of 2002, just four months after making his comeback. And yeah, I mean, I remember um, seeing the match with him and Brock Lesnar. That's a fucking dream match. Like, you can say what you want about Brock Lesnar, but when he tries, he tries. When he's lazy, he's lazy. To me, Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar, you know, Mr. Perfect and Edge, those are dream matches. And it's one of those things I'm grateful that we at least got to see those. You know, I would have killed to have seen, you know, just the wrestling fan in me, AJ Styles and Mr. Perfect, or, you know, some Japanese stars like Okada and Mr. Perfect. Like, could you imagine the matches we would have gotten if Mr. Perfect would have uh, lived longer? Same with Rick Rude. I've always said the same thing about Rick Rude. You know, Rick Rude was on his way back. He was training to make a WWF comeback, and it's just, it's unfortunate. Well, unfortunately, at that time, uh, you know, Kurt was already going through some um, addiction problems, and the guy was already in his 40s. He was already way past his 40s. Um, So I think he was only there just to put talent over, unfortunately. It definitely would have been nice to see him have another shot at the Intercontinental Championship. Um, it actually probably would have been a killer match between possibly him and Robbie and Dam. I mean, I know RVD was an Intercontinental Champion at the time when he won it, but still, just imagine a stellar match like that or a match with like him and Guerrero or Benoit when they would have made their oh, return. Man. Yeah, don't even say that. That's like That's like a wet dream for us. You know, oh, could you imagine yeah. him and Benoit? Holy shit. Like, it's just, you know, at least he's there to put people over. And he, he looked good in this match. He, he did. It was, his physique was impressive. He he, did, he didn't even skip a beat. And seeing him throw that towel on the way down, like, you deserve that spotlight, man. He did. Like, that's so cool. But, um, yeah, we should probably get to the second match now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, us rambling, just, you know, us being marks as always. Yeah, man. Uh, on to the second match here. We had the Intercontinental Championship on the line in a match that was 9 minutes and 45 seconds. William Regal uh, going up against Edge, in which William Regal did um, win the Intercontinental Championship from Edge. Now, here's, thing, here's the thing about this card and about this era. It's like they have all the titles on the line, at least every major title on the line. And when you see a match like this, I mean, it's an unlikely match to have at this magnitude, um, especially before, like, the big event, like WrestleMania and stuff. But, you know, people just need to remember how over Regal was as a heel during this era. He was one of the best heels at this time. Beating up guys, 
uh, were a weapon of choice. You know, he had the signature brass knuckles, in which we would see um, after the match, uh, you know, Michael Cole conducting an interview, power of the punch. Thank you, God. Uh, but this was also a time where we really started to see a more, um, how would I put this into words, a more deep in character with Edge and what direction they were trying to go with Edge, you know. Edge tried to come back with a steel chair. Like, you see this? This is a steel chair, you know. And we really want to see that character develop until he would become like a full-fledged heel by mid-late 04 going into 2005, uh, until his rated R days. But um, this match wasn't bad. Um, a really back-and-forth type matchup there. Um, this was a technical gem. Regal was a technical gem, um, especially around this time. Uh, one of the spots in the match, uh, Regal tried to go, I believe it was trying to go for like a tiger bomb. Edge reverses, gets back up. William Regal still has him in the clutch, power bombs him. That's just classical technical wrestling there. And, um, you know, obviously Regal caught him in the head, loaded with a left hook. Regal made the cover, cap, uh, and captured the IC title, which I believe this was his first time. I could be wrong, um, but I believe this was his first reign as the Intercontinental Championship. So, um, because um, he faced Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 17 for the Intercontinental title, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm going to try not to ramble here because this is like a, a geek fest. Right. So let me put it this way. Um, like you said with Edge, I always thought he had a great slow build. Great slow build. Like, you know, you had the tag team days. And he kind of had this era where he was really trying to find himself as a singles wrestler. And then, unfortunately, he got injured. And, you know, I think his character really took off when he won Money in the Bank. And then William Regal, you know, he had really bad drug problems going right when he got signed. So right. to see him here now as Intercontinental Champion, you know, it's great. He deserves it. I'm a huge William Regal fan. And I would watch a 60-minute Iron Man match with these two any day of the fucking week. Like, you give me a pay-per-view with just Edge and William Regal, I'm good. I don't need anything else. And, you know, this ran, what, nine minutes and 45 seconds. I wish this could have gone longer because these two are masters of their craft. And they did what they could being the second match on the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And I'll tell you what, this is a solid character-building match. It was. And, you know, I definitely like the beginning of the match. Uh, prior to the opening bell, you had Nick Patrick checking uh, William Regal's tights just to make sure, like, hey, you got any brass knuckles in there? You know, you don't really see that anymore. You know, usually you'll just start the match. Somebody pulls out a weapon or takes an eye out, um, especially nowadays. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what? You never really hear of wrestlers having a signature weapon anymore. 
We don't yeah. know yeah. For wrestlers what signature weapon. You had William Regal with the brass knuckles. You had Hacksaw with an 8x10. Triple H with the sludge hammer. Um, if if yeah. you want to talk, I, you know, if you want to talk, uh, not in the ring circumstances, but maybe like John Cena with a shovel, um, <laughs> golden shovel, the brass ring, I guess you would say. But yeah. somewhere down the line, there was always that one wrestler on the card who had a signature weapon. Hell, you even had Sandman in the WWE rebooted days of ECW oh, with a kendo stick. You know, he was still yeah. laying on fucking guys, including zombies. You're like, you know, it's like, please. It's like, it, it, you know, it's just... Who, who do we got for weapons right now? We got fucking Montez Ford with a solo cup. What's that going to do? Give me a paper cup? Who is that? Is, is he part? Oh, dude, I feel stupid right now. Is he uh, part of the Street Profits? Okay, Street all right. He has a soul. What would you just say? He has a fucking solo cup. A solo cup. Oh my god! All right, we're all right. Uh, honestly, this is, this is why we're talking about two thousand two, guys. <laughs> like honestly, I don't know what's more worse: Montez Ford with a solo cup, or our truth hitting people with a water bottle. What? All right, we're just going to ignore that. I don't know what you're talking about, and I don't want to know, but... Exactly. Well, this is me and my wrestling knowledge here. This is oh, why Rick... man. This is why Rick has us hosting the show, because we'll just talk about things that people probably forgot about and were like, did you really have to bring that up? I apologize, guys. But anyway, going into the next match, we had the Women's Championship match. Uh, with... Well, um, one more thing I wanted to say about the whole weapon thing. Yeah. Um... It angers me that we don't have weapon character building anymore. Because look at it from a writing standpoint. Weapons add to character development. And, you know, William Regal having brass knuckles. That adds so much to his heel character. You have Mick Foley with, you know, barbed wire. That adds so much to his hardcore character. Or even... Sandman bashing his head in with a fucking Singapore cane. Or, or, himself... if you wanna, or even if you want to talk about Mick Foley's sock. You know, that's practically... Well, that too. Yeah, that too, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, weapons add so much to a character. And you're right. We don't have that anymore. And that makes me sad. Because, you know, a good heel should have... You know, it's like Mr. Fuji and the powder. and Well, the salt, you know. Right. It's just so it's a great prop and we don't have props in wrestling anymore. The last prop I can think of is Dean Ambrose's fucking plant. Like and even that's just yeah. But and, and you know what, you know, speaking of weapons, one that I recall that probably haven't seen in a while wasn't uh Sean Spears basically like the chairman of the board when it came to like coming the AEW, he had the chair, considered himself the chairman or whatever. You know, you don't really see yeah. that no more. Even Laparka, you know, Laparka and WCW, he used to come out with the chair, do the whole fucking guitar with the, you know, signature weapons. We don't have that no more. No. And it's like, I'm not sure if they're just trying to keep it relatively family oriented. You know, like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that or bringing weapons with you like they're your best friends. Listen, when you're in a war, you bring a fucking weapon. Because, 
you know, don't don't take whatever fucking James Ellsworth said. Oh, any man with two hands. Ha-. No, you don't. You really don't. It really depends on who the fuck you're fighting. But anyway, James Ellsworth. Why are we talking about James Ellsworth, man? You're right. But, Let's. This is 2002. But you I, gotta. I remember, yeah. in, like, I think WrestleMania 17, Raven brought out just this cart of weapons. Like that is so cool. Because that just shows. I mean, yes, wrestling is fake, you know, but. If you're having a hardcore triple threat match, you're gonna bring a cart full of weapons. So it, it just it makes sense. Or even bring out Moppy, you know. <laughs> but anyway, here going into the WWF Women's Championship match, which I believe this was the shortest match on the card, um, timeline wise. Yeah, three minutes, um, three, min- three minutes forty three is what I'm getting on Wikipedia. Okay. So we had yeah. Trish Stratton um, taking on Jazz. Let, let me tell you, I think a lot of people forgot about Jazz. Jazz, at that time, I kind of found her underutilized, despite being a woman's champion at that time. But she was probably one of the most hard-hitting women in that division at that time, who can definitely put on a good, solid match. I and, completely agree. Yeah, you know, you know, right off, <laughs> right off the back, you know, Jazz took the advantage, you know, offensively focusing on st- uh, strategy. But another thing I want to talk about this match are uh, right before the opening bell. Obviously, we had uh, Jacqueline as a special guest referee. But something that I found so funny as Jacqueline was making her way down to the ring. Um, you know how they like advertise what kind of match this is going to be, where it says like, well, you know, WWF Women's Championship match. All I see yep. is a guy behind with a poster saying, I must be dreaming. And I laughed so hard because I figured that's the only time they would probably show that in a women's match. <laughs> I, um, it makes me sad because I'll watch, you know, because you'll have the intro, you have the pyro, and then you have the shots of the crowd, like that, them panning shots hundreds thousands of signs how many times do you see signs nowadays you hear stories of wwe confiscating signs right and that's like it's just it just shows you how the fan base was like they <laughs> lived they lived and breathed wwf back then especially back in the day back in those days people would just bring like the most ridiculous signs and you, you would still see it on TV. I, I remember watching an old SmackDown episode recently. Somebody brought one of the uh, Snap, Crackle, Pop guys from Rice Krispies. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, you know, what kind of indication is that? Like, you know, <laughs> you know turning, snapping ankles or something? Like, I don't, I don't understand that reference. And then, you know, you want to go back a little bit earlier to, like, uh, the early stages of the Attitude Era, people bringing in South Park signs. Which I thought that was pretty cool at the time. And, you know, you've had people like, um, oh, who the fuck was that guy from the Oddities? Uh, John Tenta played Golga, and he used to come out with a fucking Eric Cartman, uh, Eric Cartman stuffed uh, plush doll or whatever, yep. you know? Yeah. So, just signs like that really just used to make it on TV and you used to catch it and you'd be like, did that guy really just have a sign like that? Which, you don't really see that much anymore. Usually when they show off signs, it. when I went to Monday Night Raw back in 2016, 
um, right before the show started, or maybe like right after the show, they were like, all right, let's see your signs. And they would have like the camera guy, you know, go to each individual sign, like who had like the most unique sign. And somebody had like a Roman Reigns sign that said Roman Purple Rain or something like that. I'm like, you know, that was right around the time that Prince died. And I was like, eh. yeah, I, um, my favorite sign. Maybe this is because I'm just naturally a sarcastic asshole. But my favorite sign was always they'd hold it up and it would say, the guy behind me can't see. Yeah. That was always my favorite sign back in the day. And it's just, it's sad because it just shows that people are just buying tickets to go. Whereas back then, they were buying tickets to have fun. They yeah. were making their signs in their garage the day before going to the event. It's just... It just really shows you where wrestling is gone. Like, people just aren't enthusiastic anymore. Right. And, and, you know, you would even have, like, the group of guys that you would see, like, at a football game who would just have, like, a letter painted on their fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, yellow belly stomach that says, like, Stone Cold or, yeah, you suck or something like that. (laughs) Yep. You really don't see that anymore. It's like you can't get into the building without wearing some form of clothing. It's like they just find it so derogatory or some type of nudity, like a guy's flashing his tits live on fucking TV, but yet you got guys who are wrestling shirtless, you know? Yeah, it's the irony <laughs> of it. But um, well, let's talk about this Ric Flair and Mr. McMahon match. Yes. This match, this was fun. I loved the video packaging that, you know, that led up to this contest. And, you know, this was really around the time Rick was only supposed to be an on-screen character. He didn't plan on coming back to wrestling at that time. After the whole WCW thing, he figured, hey, I'm done. You know, I don't think I have one more left in me. And then two months later after Survivor Series, here he is in a street fight with McMahon blading. Well, um, Rick Flair was going through really bad confidence issues at this time, which I get. I understand that. And... My biggest problem with this match is I don't feel like they ever had chemistry. Um, Like, this is just, to me, a match to get to the next point in the year. They just don't feel like they have chemistry. And, which is sad, because you talk about two of the most important figures in the history of wrestling. Like, these are two of your top five, at least. So... I don't know. I watched this match. I enjoyed it for what it was, but I just it did it felt awkward. It didn't feel like it needed to be there, especially for especially for the Royal Rumble because this wasn't building anything. Right. Like you this what this wasn't building Taker and Ric Flair. And, and you know, th- this had no thoughts of like brand supremacy yet. Like there was no intention of mine of like a brand split at that time as far as i know of but you know around this time you really saw how demonic the vince mcmahon character was going especially with how jacked he was it's like boy you really won that steroid trial huh <laughs> yeah he did it, 2000, it was... 2002 and 2003 he was on some fucking steroids i'll tell you that right now but, but you know what? I, I really, I'm not even going to lie. I enjoyed this match. I thought this was a fun match. The, you know, the fact that, you know, McMahon and Flair were taking, uh, you know, the camera shots with each other. And then um, 
something that I found funny is like, hey, here's the replay, and they show the Minitron on the side, and I just yep. thought that was cool while the action still going on in the back, and they are like, well, here's the replay. You're not even going to see like a... <laughs> I, I love when Ric Flair's looking in the monitors, and he fucked up and got the wrong one, so he went to the other one, and he's like, oh, I'm watching the replay. Like... It's a fun match, don't get me wrong. But to me, it never clicked into third gear. You know, obviously we've seen uh, McMahon busted Ric Flair open. No surprise there. Yep. But uh, yeah, He bleeds through, in every match. Nu- numerous weapon usage, and uh, especially with the devastating lead pipe by Mr. McMahon. Uh, McMahon used the ring post and the steel steps to uh, aid in his attack. Flair nailed McMahon. Um, and the finish came when, uh, Flair actually made someone tap out with the figure four leg lock. Yeah, that's rare, isn't it? <laughs> Even Ric Flair said, hey, I never won with that move. I always won with roll-ups. Right. <laughs> roll up, you know, you, cool. saw, you saw numerous low blows in this match. Everybody's busted wild open. Uh, Flair botched on the turnbuckle spot that he usually does where he flips over. Yeah, uh, we didn't get a chance to see that. But you know what? I really did enjoy this match for what it was. And uh, it makes me want to go and purchase the uh, the McMahon DVD because I know that's a match that's featured Ooh, on that. That's a great DVD, man. I, I recommend it. And then uh, we go on to the championship main event here. Already, already on to the main event here. Well, Championship main event wise, yeah, uh, we have Chris Jericho defending the WWF Undisputed Championship against The Rock in a 18 minute and 50 second match. Um, video package was solid. I, I definitely loved how The Rock and Jericho engaged with each other. You know, Rock was about to hit his signature promo, like if you smell, Chris Jericho's just like, I'm fucking serious. I'm serious. And Rock just goes to him like, I'm serious too when I kick your ass, yada, yada. <laughs> and um, obviously this was in the hindsight of the Vengeance pay-per-view. You know, one great company, one great champion, four matches, three, uh, three, or no, four superstars, three matches, two titles, one undisputed champion. And um, you know what? This match was definitely okay for what it was. I mean, we saw a good confrontation between Jericho and Rock in the beginning. Um, saw a pretty good table spot. And I think at this time, Jericho was definitely a good heel. But he definitely wasn't... How would I say this? He, 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 def, he was still in the development stages of becoming one of those good main event superstars. I, I always put it this way. This is the man that beat the Rock and Stone Cold in the same night. And then WrestleMania 18, I think, really hurt him because obviously he was the main event. You know, he wasn't... He wasn't... Him and Triple H wasn't The Rock and um, Hulk Hogan. And that kind of shows a lot that a lot of people look back and say, well, Triple H and Chris Jericho wasn't Rock and Hogan. So right. that just that goes to show you that Chris Jericho wasn't there yet. Nowadays, right. fuck yeah. Chris Jericho is one of the greatest of all time. But 
this was a period where he was trying to find himself in a WWF manner. I love his WCW character. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's just this is a new environment for him still, even though this is a few years after his debut. He was really finding himself as a heel. And, you know, him and The Rock, this was a solid WWF title match. Undisputed title match, I should say. This felt important. I would have rather this been the WrestleMania main event, to be honest. Right. I, I, The Rock and Hogan, it was an electric match, but it wasn't a good match. Well, that you said in prior videos, I believe you said this in the last video, it was a match to draw money. It, it definitely yeah. wasn't a match that everybody thought, hey, this is going to be a good match. Like, no, obviously it's not going to be a good match because you got like a 50, 60-something-year-old Hogan who's still taking bumps, but not as good. So you have to have somebody who can take the bumps for Hogan. You know, yeah. not over like Michaels did in 05 SummerSlam, but... You know, someone who could really put Hogan over at that time, which leads me to a Hogan type of theory here. I wouldn't say theory, but a topic of discussion, because when they brought the NWO back at the next pay-per-view that we're going to be discussing um, later on in this podcast, I think it should have just been Hogan and not Hall Nash. And the reason I say that was, obviously, Hall and Nash had a bad reputation in the back. They always had to stir up some type of fuss, Um, especially back in the WCW days when, basically, Nash was making all the booking decisions. Um, Yeah, I have a very strong opinion on the NWO. They should have never been in the WWF as a faction. Here's... For WrestleMania 18, Stone Cold and Hogan, and then Chris Jericho and The Rock. That, to me, is your two matches. Yes. Um, The Rock and Hogan, that just... I'm not a Rock fan. Uh, I get a lot of shit for that. But I think he's overrated. I think The Rock is overrated. And to me, the money match was Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan. And then you want to put Chris Jericho over, have him beat the fucking Rock at WrestleMania. Not the main event, but the co-main event. And then have your main event be, you know, the icon versus the legend. The legend being Stone Cold and the icon being Hulk Hogan. And, you know, I, I hate the heel turn of Stone Cold at WrestleMania 17. So in my perfect world, that never happened. So you have Stone Cold... The ultimate babyface versus Hogan, who's obviously coming out of the NWO and WCW, who was a heel. Right. That, to me, is WrestleMania 18. Um, I'm not the biggest WrestleMania 18 fan out there because of kind of every reason I just listed. But, yeah, um, I would have preferred this match at WrestleMania, to be honest with you. Because it's a solid match. And, you know, I I definitely would have preferred Hogan coming back early in the red and yellow other than coming back in the black and white, you know, resurging back to his, you know, his old heel days in WCW. Because especially the promo that the NWO uh, cut at the uh, No Way Out pay-per-view. Oh, we're not trying to be a poison. We're, you know, we're, we're just here like everybody else. Yada, yada, yada. 
And then when Hogan grabbed the mic, you know, the ovation from the crowd, everybody wanted to see a face, baby face Hulk Hogan, because this was the first time Hogan was appearing on WWF television in nine years. Well, you remember the reception he got the night after WrestleMania 18. Oh, yeah. It was like, what was it, like 12 minutes of just standing ovation. Yeah. Imagine if Hulk Hogan would have returned in this Rumble as a surprise entrant. Oh, gosh. He would have got over. He definitely would have yeah. got over. He definitely would have been. Honestly, he, if it wasn't Mr. Perfect, it definitely would have been Hogan in that final four. Yeah, and then you can foreshadow Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan. Yep, exactly. And that probably could have led to a good match. I mean, I definitely would have loved to say Mania, but they probably would have built it up at No Way Out. Yeah. But going on, continuing on with this match here between Jericho and Rock, you know, Jericho looked like a good heel superstar um, around 2001, 2002. Um, This was a good back-and-forth wrestling match. Numerous... uh, Numerous false finishes. You know, you had Jericho who hit two lion salts and Rock yep. kicked out of both yeah. of them. And you yeah. even saw yeah. some interference with uh, Lance Storm and Christian. And this was right before they formed the Un-Americans. This was, you know, months before all that scandalous shit started to come out. Um, Storm's distraction helps uh, Jericho hit a rock bottom. Um, surprisingly, you know, trying to finish off the superstar with his own move. Uh, Something that you see in probably almost every pay-per-view is you would see the Spanish announce table somewhat involved. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not saying that nobody gives a shit about the Spanish announce team, but (laughs) for the love of God, you know... (laughs) When you, you know, obviously when you see two people are more going towards a table, you already know what table's going out first. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's a Vince McMahon racist joke at this point. But, um, after that, uh, Jericho hits the rock with a low blow, smashed his head into the exposed turnbuckle, and basically rolled up the rock for the one, two, three on a successful retain of the undisputed title, I would say, in a heel manner. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think Chris Jericho was the right winner going into WrestleMania. Um, I would have rather have seen him in Triple H versus other than um, Rock and Triple H. So, you know, being a fan back then, The Rock was the clear winner. Yes. Going into your biggest show of the year, you know, Chris Jericho had his moment, obviously, at Vengeance. And so it, it's cool to see him still have his moment at the Rumble, leading into the biggest show of the year. Yes. Now, on to the... Uh, I would probably say this is probably one of my favorite Royal Rumble matches. Yeah. Only yeah. because the capacity, and not only the capacity, but you know the superstars that you had involved in this match, and a lot of them were making their first-time Rumble appearances. Mm-hmm. So, um, I actually have the list of everybody in order. Um, yeah, number- um, yeah, I have it on Wikipedia here. 
So the first two that you had starting out in this match was Rikishi and uh, the return of Goldust that I mentioned earlier. Um, always good to see Goldust. Every time Goldust returned, I was so happy. And going into go- uh, good old uh, Dustin's storylines here, uh, one of my favorite storylines with Goldust was when uh, Cody lost his job. And Cody lost his job, and he went into that big match with Orton on Monday Night Raw, and he had that, that was, big food. That was a good match. And then you had Battleground, where they won their jobs back. But I thought you were going to say the where he got struck by lightning, and then he started stuttering. But well, so funny, too. Oh, no, I, I, I love that, you know? He, I think he has the most returns of any fucking wrestler. Like, it's either, like, five or six at this point. But I... I'm a huge, huge Goldust mark. I am serious. Like, I love Goldust, especially in the early 2000s. He got such an ovation, and I can't tell you how much I hate Rikishi with a passion. I hate him. Uh, I'm sorry. That's going to get some dislikes here. I hate Rikishi, but... He's an ass, okay? No pun intended, but he's an ass. Yeah, I'll give him a stink (laughs) face. But, um... It's so cool to see Goldust return with a good ovation. Even uh, Jerry Lawler was putting him over on commentary. This was great. And then uh, coming in at number three, which I was so surprised that he was still around in the company at this time, and that was the uh, the big boss man. Yeah. This was the uh, black attire days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was slowly dwindling down to him just putting fans over. Or not fans over, but, you know, other, you know, younger talent over. And then I believe he was sent back to OVW to do some trainings um, after his last match in 2002, which I believe it was in May. It was actually him and Mr. Perfect taking on the Hardy Boys. I forgot which additional Raw that was, but I recall that was his last match. Yeah. Uh, He didn't last too, too long in this match. But, you know, it's still cool to see the big boss, man. Come on. Coming in at number four, you had the hard-hitting Bradshaw. At number five, you had Lance Storm, which, speaking of that, that spot with uh, JBL hitting a clothesline on Lance Storm, you know, it looked like it knocked him out. Yeah, that was a – I love the clothesline from hell. That is a great clothesline. And – you know, it's and and this was right when Bradshaw he was looking like a singles competitor. Yeah. I love a heel JBL. So this was you know, I think he was always above tag team wrestling and this really shows it. Right. Uh let me see. Coming in at number six, you had Al Snow. Uh, number seven you had Billy. Can we appreciate how much, how many head chants we had here? <laughs> People wanted head, <laughs> and then I think the Jerry, Jerry Lawler made a joke about it. Too. Classic yeah. Jerry, classic fucking Jerry Lawler. But uh, you know, fortunately at this time, you know, Al Snow, um, he definitely he he wasn't about gimmicks. He was definitely about the real deal at this time. Um, after. Uh, season one of Tough Enough, as he was a trainer by then. Yeah. 
I, I'm a uh, huge Al Snow fan. I, I love watching his shoot interviews. I'll watch his uh, his videos of him in his training school. I, Al Snow is a walking encyclopedia of wrestling. He's very underrated. Honestly, I think between him and uh, Chris Hero, those are like the only two guys that I know who can speak anything about anything wrestling. And yeah. they'll just like that. And yep. that's something I really appreciate about Al Snow. Yeah, but uh, let me don't see. Even yep. get, yeah, don't even get me started on Chris Hero and NXT. <laughs> oh boy, you know that's something that we're definitely yeah. gonna have to another time because that man was highly underutilized. Oh my God! Yeah. Coming in at number eight, we had the Undertaker. Nine and ten, we had the Hardy Boys, in which Undertaker ended up eliminating both Hardy Boys. Yeah. Uh, about. Uh, they and, were uh, really doing a number on him, and Lita even came in and got some money action herself. Um, to me, this was because what they had their vengeance match, right? Matt and Jeff. Matt and Jeff. Had, yes. I feel and, like and this was this was too soon to have a reuniting. Like it's just. Because obviously, you know, they worked together or tried to work together here. I feel like right. it was too soon. This was definitely too soon. And I think they were probably hesitant at that time because, you know, the Hardy Boys were still one of the hottest tag teams at that time. And I think they wanted to keep them together. Probably no indication about maybe the draft because obviously, as we've seen during the draft, they split up two big teams yeah. with uh, yeah. the APA and the Dudley Boys. And I think they just wanted to keep that one tag team together until they created a concept on how we're going to divide the two, in which later on in 2002, we would see uh, V-Wanda, Matt Hardy, which I'm not even going to lie, I enjoyed that version of Hardy. Like, I I was a big fan of Hardy at that time. And it's just like even, I think, New Mercy 2001 was when Edge and Christian had their ladder match. So there were a lot of tag teams that were just split at this time. Edge and Christian are one of my all-time favorite tag teams. So, you know, you had, in 2001 alone, you had the Hardys, Edge and Christian. And the Dudleys, to me, never worked on their own. So I hate to say that, unless you're in TNA. But this is way before TNA. Of course. So I think this was terribly too soon. And it's just, like, little things, like, using the same theme music for Matt Hardy. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it's just, come on. You want to, you want to make him a single superstar, and you want to have him feud with Jeff, but you want to use the Hardy's theme again. Like, come on. You're smarter than this. (laughs) Like I said, I, I think they were just hesitant at the time, and they were just like, all right, let's see where it goes. You know, obviously, in life, brothers fight and you know that's kind of the morality of life there um but we were we really want to see any signs of being betrayed till later on yeah coming in at number 11 we had maven uh maven this was his first royal rumble appearance um you know slightly early attire with the pants and the m logo on the side which you know, obviously that's a that's a rookie uh, attire right there, I would say. But yeah. this is what got the Royal Rumble match over. 
Hardy Boys came back in the ring, tried to distract the Undertaker. Undertaker, you know, not really doing a veteran thing by not watching his back. Then we would see probably one of the meanest drop kicks at that time. Maven, you know, drop kicking the Undertaker, eliminating the Undertaker, and just receiving probably the only probably the only pop that Maven ever got in his career. <laughs> I'll Sadly. tell you what. All right, it's all right. It's rant time. Yes. So okay, okay. This was a great spot. I love that Maven. You know, this is a great way to put over your tough enough winner. But you have this rumble was so long because you had inconsistent. That this was not ninety seconds. Okay. You had him and Taker. Of course, Taker's pissed off that he got eliminated in such a rookie way because, yeah, you're not watching your back. But they had this brawl through the crowd. He, you know, he puts him through the popcorn machine. What did this build to? Nothing. 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 Okay. This piss, this pisses me off. You have this great great brawl through the crowd all the way up to the concessions. Like I said, puts him through the popcorn machine. This, my biggest problem with this is this, this doesn't build to anything because take or face Ric Flair at WrestleMania, which don't get me wrong. That's my favorite streak match. But yeah, um, this just felt forced. Like I think it would have been better, honestly, if you had Maven, Eliminate Taker, and that's it. And technically, Maven was never eliminated. You know, well, he was. He was later on. He got thrown. He he got thrown through the middle rope first. Um, If you do recall, uh, Maven did take a head shot. Um, He took a a chair shot to the head, and um, he was actually brought back into the ring. And Undertaker did throw him over the top until they made it into. Yeah, but my thing is, Taker, okay, this is just kind of the, this is getting nitpicky, but Taker's fucking eliminated. You can't go back and eliminate other people. You can only be eliminated by active contestants. Right, but you know something, I mean, Royal Rumble-wise, this has been going on for years. You gotta think of, like, like Jericho and Michaels at 03, Michaels and Kurt Angle in 2005, and, you know, it it happens. And yeah. you know what? At the time, 2002, this was the year Undertaker was really putting young guys over, developing the next generation of stars. Obviously, Maven didn't go anywhere by getting bladed, but I think what they did was they wanted to test out Maven's toughness. Let's see if he could hang with the big dog here. Yeah. You know? And I yeah. think that's what it was. I, and I just... Um... I just really wish having this great angle, because when you think of Royal Rumble 2002, this is what you think of. And yep. then he's facing Goldust at WrestleMania for the hardcore title, which he really didn't go anywhere. It's sad. No. And you know what? He had many opportunities, too. You know, he was a three-time hardcore champion. He had a chance to go for the world tag team titles with Al Snow against uh, Billy and Chuck at Backlash. And then after that, you just really stopped seeing him until he resurged on 
Monday Night Raw, Sunday Night Heat, and he was mainly on like the B's and the C shows. Um, do you know? Do you know when he got released? He got released, I believe it was June or July of two thousand and five, and I know around wow. that time. I know around that time he was uh, tag teaming with Simon Dean as part of this like fitness guru, you know, training buddy. You know, he's yeah. testing out all my supplements. You know, Maven, <laughs> the committed, you know, customer of mine. But you know what? After that, it's like the the fact that WWE didn't give him like a second chance to come back, or maybe there was some type of downfall between the two that practically never let Maven come back to the WWE. But the way I see it, that was definitely a missed opportunity, especially with a star. You know, you did the first Tough Enough. That was your first reality TV series. And you figure with somebody like that, that's somebody you could really build off of. Like, hey, this was the first Tough Enough winner. Let's not, why not make him a star? But honestly. Go ahead, continue. Oh, no, go ahead. You know, go ahead. It's like Daniel Pewter. It's the same fucking thing. Like, that dude, I don't think he had as much charisma as you'd want. But that can be learned. Right. Daniel Pewter, I think, he could have been something. And I say the same thing with Maven. Like, especially this match. Like, just seeing him and, him and Taker had chemistry. Yeah, as much as I love Ric Flair and Taker, dude, fuck it. Just do Taker and Maven yes. at WrestleMania. I, I know they would never have done that. But why not? You built to it. I I agree. And, and, you know, it's sad because, as I recall, the the only guy who practically made it through the original Tough Enough series that became somewhat of a decent star was uh, John Morrison. Yeah, and and The Miz, too. And The Miz, yeah. And um, uh, Ryback, I would say. Yeah, Um, Cam... Cameron was a part of it. Cameron. And then if you want to talk about recent, I guess the Velveteen Dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I remember the 2011, you know, Andy had won. And that was a good season, tough enough. It's just like, what the fuck? He got released. Like, don't get me started on 2011, tough enough. I have rants for that one. But let's name the next contestant while we're here for the Rumble. Naming the uh, the next contestant here was another man who fell victim to the Undertaker's assault was uh, Scotty Too Hotty, you know, dancing his way along the ring. And it's like, dude, do you not see the Undertaker giving you, like, the devil's eye? Like, yeah. he's about to go melee on your ass. But then again, it's Scotty Too Hotty. I think that was, like, the first or second Royal Rumble he actually got attacked and just didn't do much um the way i see it is he got the worm the crowd pot for it you're out like it's it's he was in there simply for a crowd pop yes uh let me see coming in at number 13 and 14 um one of the wrestlemania 18 matches we had christian and making their first royal rumble appearance diamond dallas page Um, you know, this is something that I have to rant about. Oh boy. I'm, 
you know, low-key, I've never mentioned it, but I am a huge Diamond Dallas Page fan. And the only reason why I say that is because he's so influential in a way of saying, hey, it's never too late. He started wrestling at the age of 35. At the age of 35, you're practically winding down, you know. And he came in on a full-time basis. And, you know, this guy, you know, this guy started off as a manager. And at that time, he was, you know, he was pretty tall for a manager. So they were like, hey, you know, why not do some wrestling? He got interested in wrestling. He thought he wasn't going to make it. Obviously, he was under the tutelage of Jake Roberts, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes practically told him, like, hey, you know, write this down. Or, you know, you got this, you know, give it give it a while, you know. And Diamond Dallas paid from a certain point in his career. He was like, in four years, I'm going to become world heavyweight champion. And by 1999, I believe it was Colin Barry. In 1999, he became WCW world heavyweight champion. Now, I understand... You know, the, the Time Warner contract, some of the contracts they couldn't accept at that time were because, obviously, they were too high. They couldn't afford it. Let's get the superstars that we can. Diamond Dallas Page, he didn't have to come in, but he did. And he could have had probably one of the best feuds in 2001 against The Undertaker. Or even The Rock. You had People's Champion... And people's champion on the same show. You had WCW's people champ, uh, people's champion. He could have had a nice feud with The Rock, but instead they put him against Booker T, which nothing against Booker T. But then you have him in this gimmick where he's like, "I like me, you like me," you know. It's like you know, smiling. Like God forbid, like guy looks like he just owns like a big giant toothbrush. Well. And, you know, he obviously he was going through the early stages of like his his yoga process. He was already going through the process of yoga, and he was mainly there to put some talent over. Obviously, he put Christian over, I would say, in some way or form. And his career in WWE did not last long. Well, I mean, it was, it was mediocre. He was tag team champions with who better than Kenyon? Well. <laughs> Everybody in the WWF was, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, he became European champion. He had his WrestleMania moment against Christian instead of riding a pink Cadillac with rhythm and blue. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. You know what? It it was such a good move for Diamond Dallas Page finally making it to where he wanted to go all his life. And at such a late age... Which is why I like Diamond Dallas Page. But, you know, it, it just disappoints me that WWE couldn't really do anything with him. Especially after getting drafted on SmackDown. By the time he got drafted to SmackDown, he could have been one of the top mid-carders or main eventers. If they yeah. really want. The way I always... Well, you gotta look at how he was introduced. With the stalker storyline. Yeah. Like, that's, that's foreshadowing like, what's to come. Right. And you know he's yeah I think he was a bouncer when he was discovered, so yeah he was like thirty five and he was 
that's a that's an inspirational story. At the it age is. of thirty, at the age of thirty-five, you can be successful. But his WWF career is a fucking joke. Um, I love Christian, seriously. But him and DDP, you know, I think that's the height of Christian's first run of his WWF career. Before he went to TNA, obviously, and then came back and feuded with Randy Orton. But this match, you know, with DDP, this whole rivalry with DDP and Christian, I don't know. It just felt like, uh, oh, we don't know what to do with these two guys. Let's throw them in a match at WrestleMania. It's just, I don't think really DDP and Christian ever really had chemistry. And... DDP, you know, he's great. I, I love what he's done recently with his YouTube channel. Dude, I was talking to JJ about yoga. I might do some fucking DDP yoga, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just... This really killed his career, what it, WWE did to him. Well, I think between what storylines they put DDP through and then obviously the final match that we had with WWE against Hardcore Holly obviously there was a box taking a superplex which it didn't really look that bad if you watch it but I mean if you see it in slow motion it's like oh yeah that was (laughs) which led him to taking like a two two and a half year hiatus away from wrestling and he didn't come back into wrestling till TNA in late 2004. Yeah. But anyway here, going on with the participants. Number 15, making his first Royal Rumble appearance, we have Chucky, or Chuck Palumbo. Uh, 16, uh, we already talked about this early in the show, but we had the returning Godfather. Um, uh, uh, one thing I wanted to say real quick. Yeah. This is the uh, OCD part of me. And, okay, what are the odds that Matt and Jeff come back to back? Let's look at this from a wrestling standpoint where they're just randomly drawing the numbers, which I really miss randomly drawing the number segments. You never get that nowadays. You remember when, like, uh, Kelly Kelly or Lillian Garcia would be the tumbler, you know, you'd pick your ball out and look at your number, like the great segment with Eddie Guerrero. Oh, you I know? love that. Yeah, like that, I miss those segments, seriously. But, like, what are the odds that Matt and Jeff are going to come back, back to back? Come on. Come on. Seriously. It's obvious. But, you yeah. know what? They, they did it again, so, somewhat similar to the next year, but obviously they were opposed to each other. You know, Matt was full in control in the Royal Rumble match with his V1 gimmick. And then and next participant comes out. Jeff Hardy's running to the ring, and they're just face-to-face like, what, what? Like, you know. <laughs> am, I the only, am I the only one that loves Matt Hardy V1? No. I love that character. I love it. And yeah. They had, yeah. Another, they had a great opening match, too, at uh, WrestleMania 19. That's my favorite pay-per-view of WWE, at least. And I loved when they would just bring on the computer monitor and they would have the stupid random facts. Like, I love it. Like, I remember WrestleMania 19. I think it was like Matt Hardy often wonders how they did WrestleMania without him. 
That is great. Like, I love that. <laughs> but anyway, and, continue. And, what, and, and what's so funny about that, too, um, where he had his lackeys, he had, like, Crash Holly at the time, and he had Shannon Moore. Shannon yep. Moore basically had, like, the same intro to his entrance video, but then it was like, it, you know, it's like the computer crashed halfway loaded. <laughs> 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 It's like, yeah, Shannon's not all there, but you know. I I always liked Shannon more. Uh, his oh, TNA yeah. days were actually pretty good. I I loved his days in TNA. Um, I thought he could have did a lot better when he came back in the ECW version of uh, WWE. Yeah. Uh, even though CM Punk kind of like buried him with the whole "you're a poser," <laughs> smacks him in the face. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, going on to the participants here. Coming in at number 17, we had the hip-hop hippo, uh, Albert, who was teaming up with Scotty at that time. I always thought that he was in between gimmicks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like A-Train. And Albert, to me, just... He always came off as this, like, gay bouncer. Like, it just never worked. I, well, I really I liked his A-Train character. I mean, yeah, when he first made his way into WWE, he was named after a fucking penis piercing. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, that's the one downfall of it. But, God, he made such a huge impact by the time he went to Japan after being released in 2004. Oh, yeah. Um, Matt but, Bloom. um, come on. Matt Bloom, yeah. Matt Bloom is one of those criminally underrated people in the wrestling business. He is. And he's probably one of the best trainers at this time, you know, developing the new talent. And, you know, he had such a unique moveset. It's like, not nowadays would you see somebody hoist a man over his head and do a sit-down, kind of like a falcon arrow. Yeah. And, you know, he he had such a great moveset. But, you know... Just as he was about to be a good rising single star, they would just place him in another tag team. Yeah. It was either him and Raj. Then they put him in uh, TNA with uh, Test. Yep. Uh, The whole thing with Scotty Tuhati. What else? And then uh, they had him have, like, a short alliance with the Big Show, which... Obviously, at WrestleMania 17, it was supposed to be Undertaker and Nathan Jones. Uh, you know, another guy who I thought they just you mean said... Ni- uh, you mean 19? 19, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. But, you know, that was another guy that they underutilized at that time is Nathan Jones. See, I, I don't think they did. I don't think he had any talent. Like, because um, the thing was with... Not to get like into too much of WrestleMania 19, but Nathan Jones, they were afraid that he just wasn't able to hold a good match. And I don't know. I think I'd rather see Taker in a handicap match against Big Show and E-Train. I, I just don't think Nathan Jones had anything. I never did. Honestly, he, he, he was just like another Heidenreich in my yeah. eye. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> anyway, next contestant. Anyway, um, <laughs> we we're not getting into that. Yeah, let's not. We're jumping the gun here. But uh, coming in at number 18, we had uh, Perry Saturn in a uh, 
guess you can say advertisement for Got Milk with the cow attire. Uh, <laughs> number 19, uh, he doesn't drink milk at all, but we have Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hell yeah. Got a huge pop. Yeah. Very huge pop at that rumble. Uh, number 20, we had the return of Val Venus, which I am not going to lie. I wish they would have pushed Val Venus to the moon at this time. He looked great. He really did. Like, physique-wise, obviously the gimmick was kind of old because he practically brought back something from 98 when he first debuted. But at that time, you know, he he was definitely another great underutilized talent. Yeah. I mean, he lost his... Dude, you remember the choppy choppy pee-pee? Like, that, to me, he never recovered from that. Like, a lot of people well, look back at that segment and they're like, oh, it's funny. I'm like, no. It's, it's it's just it's funny but in a ridiculous way and you can't take his gimmick seriously after that segment like exactly not only did you take his push away but also his uh, so called dignity it's like yeah like from that his his dick is gone what like yeah. what else is there? like it's just I I like Valvinus he's a I've watched a lot of shoot interviews with him he is a talented man. He uh, he he knows the wrestling bit. Yeah, well, <laughs> boy, now the guy's just like another spitting image of like RVD, who just talks about 420 all the time and weed, yeah. and like his physique has just, God, he just he just looks like somebody's lost uncle at a, a barbecue. Like, hey, yeah. uncle, how you doing? You know, like, how, how's your pee pee feeling? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I always like Valvinus. Like, even in, I think he came back a few times in, like, 2007. Yeah, it's just, it's a shame. Yeah. You know, after this, I mean, he was mainly used on, like, Heat and, you know, just, like, all the, you know, the undercard. He's uh, he's he's yeah, the king of Monday Night Heat. <laughs> yeah. Him and Hurricane. Well, I don't know. We had Stevie Night Heat with Stevie Richards. And then we had Raven at one point, and then we had Raven who was in control of Sunday Night Heat throughout the whole duration of 2002. Yeah. Those are episodes you got to catch, because I thought those were pretty entertaining. Are those, uh... You can probably catch those on YouTube. Okay. I don't they don't, I don't see them on the network. The, the furthest they go for Sunday Night Heat is 99, and they showed the whole Triple H, like, I am the game promo, like, which basically solidified his career. Yeah. Uh, coming in at number 21, we had Test, which something that they mentioned on the commentary is when he won that Community Battle Royal at Survivor Series. You know, it's like, okay, the guy can't get fired, but it's like, what the fuck did that do for him? Um, I like Test. And it's unfortunate. Uh, well, he he died early. Yeah. I think he probably would have been something. Even though he'd already been in the company for years. You know, my biggest uh, thing with him was the immunity battle royal. And I think at that point, I'm like, yeah, he's a star. I like I liked Test. And unfortunately, he got stuck with a lot of bad circumstances. And he had the body... I think he had the personality. He had the physique. He, I, I really, 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 really like Test. 
Yeah. You know what? He he definitely could have had another chance when um they put him in that pairing with Stacy Keebler. Um they made that horrible reference where oh I love my testicles and it's like oh, God. God. God You uh, know <laughs> so he got a new look, a new attire, got the haircut, you know, he looked brash. They looked like they were about to do something with him. And then you team him up with a guy whose math equations are just impossible to fucking answer. Yeah. It's got time. And after that, it was like, you take him out of the 2004 Royal Rumble match, obviously to hype up the whole Mick Foley-Randy Orton feud going on. Yeah. And after that, it's like, didn't do nothing with him. He had another chance when he came back in 06 for ECW. Oh. And I think his last match was at Royal Rumble 07, I believe. That might have been his last match. Yeah, him and Bobby Lashley. Yeah. And like I said, it's a damn shame because I like Test. Um, he could have been something. Like, if you look at him and take him back to, like, the 80s, he would have been something. Seriously. Oh, yeah. And then, number 22, the return of the game, Triple H. And I like how they hype this up. You know, the music plays, the crowd ovation, and they show him at the top of the entrance ramp. And I don't know about you, but all you can see is, like, this aura. It, it was yeah. kind of like a mysterious figure that was just, like, standing there. I don't know if you remember, uh, you know, kind of going flashback to my childhood here. Uh, but, like, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you see, like, the reveal of the Green Ranger, and he pops up, and it's, yeah. like, aura. That's what it reminded me of. You see Triple H, and it's, like, he's revamped. This is a new Triple H. Like, he's back. He's ready. He's ready to... You know, obviously win the Royal Rumble, which he did. And you just felt this aura. It was like, all right, he's back. Let's see what we've missed. Well, like I said, he got a huge reception at the Garden. Huge reception. And I actually have the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers box set. So I used to have that. Yeah, that's a great set. But anyway, I don't know how we got into Power Rangers. But... (laughs) Um, Triple H, let's be honest, he, it was kind of predictable, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, he deserves it, you know? Um, him and Chris Jericho is not the main event I would have picked, but it's acceptable. A lot of people give that main event shit, um, for the sole reason that it went on after, two matches after Hogan and Rock, and to me, though, it's a good match. If you really look at it. And Triple H was over. And someone who gets that much of a crowd reception. Yeah. Let him win the Rumble. Like to me. This was the right choice to win the Rumble. You know. I I certainly agree. And 2002. In my opinion opinion, at least. Was definitely Triple H's year. Yep. Um, You know. Just the storylines that they had him involved with. I think him and Sean had feud of the year. Oh hell uh, yeah! I um, that rivalry is that went on to two thousand four. Yeah, one of my favorite Hell in a Cell matches is Shawn Michaels and Triple H. Bad Blood, right? Yep, Bad Blood two thousand four. 
And a lot of people give that match shit because, oh, it's so long. It's like, I think it went like 45 minutes. And I'm right. like, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to see them go 45 minutes. Like, that is a rivalry that went on for a year, like two years. Yeah. So that was great. Uh, coming up next here, we have the Hurricane, which had a funny spot in that match. Yeah. Um, attempting to do the uh, double choke slam on Austin and uh, yeah. Blake. And it's like, they're just looking at each other like, this guy fucking serious. Lemonade. I love her. Agree. But I, lo- I love Hurricane. <laughs> oh, I love Hurricane. He, he was definitely one of the best. He was definitely one of the best cruiserweights at that time. Yeah, even when he became Gregory Helms in like 2006. Yeah, he held that. He held that title for like a year, I think. He, he was and, the longest. I believe he's still. I, th- I believe he still holds that record for longest reigning. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think the cruiserweight title's in NXT now, right? I don't watch NXT. Now, now it's the NXT cruiserweight title. They don't even call it WWE no more. Eh. So. But um, yeah, I remember in like 2006 when he was like a legitimate defending champion. And Hurricane Helms, dude, he's talented. Uh, I like him a lot. And in this match, you know, you had the hilarious double choke slam spot, which you knew going in, like, yeah, he's not going to hit it. But why not try it anyway? Right. And, and you know what? Going into Hurricane in this year, um, I think one of my favorite moments was when Jamie Noble uh, stole his mask. And Nydia was basically wearing it as lingerie. And then the light cut dark. And all you see is the hurricane behind Jamie Noble prepping up for a choke slam. Choke slams Jamie Noble, grabs his mask back. And I think that was probably one of the best moments, um, despite his victory over The Rock. That was definitely one of my favorite moments with the hurricane. I always loved when he, uh, his WrestleMania 18 spot, where he just, he comes on the, it's just such a cheesy. Like, on the rope, he just does this, like, cheesy-ass dropkick on the rope and pins for the hardcore title. And that's one thing I love about WrestleMania 18, that ongoing hardcore title storyline. Like, you even have Molly Holly win it at one point. Like, I love that. Right. You know, guy gets hit with a frying pan, makes him look like a ham and anger. Like, you yep. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. But, oh my gosh. Hurricane, I, I could go on forever about Hurricane and how underutilized he was. But Gregory Helms was such a big resurgence in his career, um, especially becoming like a serious competitor. Yeah. Uh, man, just to think, you know, the, the type of athlete he could have been nowadays and, you know, the people that he's trained. But Did, um, did he get released? <sighs> He yeah recently recently because I know he was a producer and he got released right yeah he he was one of the few that got released so. yeah that that sucks he's a great Where, minded he's a he's a great minded wrestler coming in at number twenty four we have Farouk number twenty five we see the return of Mister Perfect which that was probably my favorite entry in that match. We already down. covered that. We we covered that already. <laughs> we could go on for days about that, but yeah. after Mr. Perfect, we have Kurt Angle, 27. We have The Big Show. 
28, we have Kane, which the following Royal Rumble, he had the most eliminations in 2001. Yeah, yep. Uh, including Drew Carey, I think. <laughs> yeah. Or did Drew Carey did Drew Carey eliminate himself? Because I think he was. I think the whole game. I think he eliminated was, himself. Yeah, he was so scared that he eliminated himself. But, and then the final two entries, both making their Royal Rumble debuts, is Rob Van Dam and Booker T. In which Booker T. He didn't last that long in the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, usually. Usually, when you have your final entrance, they usually are one of the last few. And it's just like, this kind of felt out of place. Like, if you're going to eliminate him this far, like, he should have been one of the final two. If you're going to have number 30 be Booker T, have him go all the way. Not, like, win, but have him be one of the final two. It just felt kind of pointless. It's just... Another way to bury WCW. Yeah. And you know what? <sighs> Going into this match, uh, the final two came down to Triple H and Angle, and they had themselves a solid battle towards oh, the yeah. end. And uh, at the end, uh, Kurt Angle tossed Triple H over the top. A Hunter was able to pull himself up and back into the ring, uh, surprisingly. Um Hunter taunted, and Angle had no idea. Obviously, Triple H was in the ring still. Uh, Triple H clotheslined Angle over the top rope and sending him to the WrestleMania 18 to face the Undisputed Championship. And honestly, besides the championship main event, this was definitely the match of the night. Oh, yeah. This was... This was great. Like, you look at this Rumble match... And it's just like nowadays, man. Like, I don't know, it's sad. Yeah. Like you see, you see this rumble match. You have so many great angles, so many good rivalries. You have some building to WrestleMania, which this past uh, this past rumble was good. You know, you had Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar. That foreshadowing there. But this was back in the day where like the littlest thing could build to WrestleMania, like DDP and Christian. It's a perfect example. It's right. just like this rumble was so fun, and I think nowadays it's just not as fun. And, and you know what? I think this was probably the world, probably the best Royal Rumble that most wrestling fans can recall fondly. And mm-hmm. you know the crowd was hot, and it's amazing how the match was, you know, without The Rock or Jericho, you know who were two big guys at that time who weren't even involved in this match. You figure, you know, the loser of the match would get involved in the Royal Rumble match. And for not one of those guys to be involved in that match, it, you know, this Royal Rumble still was a success heading into the road to WrestleMania. Well, that shows you the star power. Yeah. Because nowadays you have, oh, the world title contender is going to be in a Rumble match. Whereas back then, no. You had your stars who could hold their own and be in the Rumble match to either set up their angle or even like the placeholders felt like more of a star than you have nowadays. Like like I said, I love the Hurricane Helm spot. I love Christian and DB, the, the DP spot. 
And even the final two, Triple H and Kurt Angle, I love Kurt Angle. Right. You know, he is just, to me, one of the greatest of all time. And, you know, not even that, but, like, even the final three, having somebody of Mr. Perfect's caliber in yeah. that match, you know, especially just making a comeback. Oh, you haven't been in the company since late 96. Was, the, um, um, was this a surprise return for um, Kurt Henning? Um, I mean, like I said before, they did advertise it in the be- like the beginning of the packaging. They said that okay. those four were coming back. Yeah. But at the time, I'm not sure if this was already, you know, planned out, you know, for fans to say, like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Because I think they might have announced it weeks prior, uh, heading into this Royal Rumble match. But yeah. it was definitely a treat. I mean, not a surprise. I mean, it could, it definitely would have bought, probably would have gotten a bigger pop if it was a surprise. But uh, it was yeah. definitely... It, it was still a treat for fans to see Mr. Perfect one last time in a WWF ring. Well, like I said, my perfect scenario would have been Hogan making his return on his own. Even having like a Mr. Perfect Hogan stared at would have been just off the wall. Could you imagine? Dude, like, um, uh, that would have been perfect. Well, no pun intended, but perfect. You know, like <laughs> pun intended. That would have been perfect. Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> oh yes, but you know what? That's definitely yeah. something that we're gonna have to talk about. Um, the next pay per view that we're gonna be talking about, which will be No Way Out 2002, which saw the debut of the New World Order. And the returns of Hall, Nash, and Hogan. So, DVD Freak, what, you know, how can people reach you through social media? Well, one thing I want to do, something I always do on my channel, and I think would kind of be fitting for this video series, give okay. a letter, give a letter grade for this pay-per-view. All right. If I had yeah. to give this a letter grade... I'd give it an A minus. I was gonna give it a B plus, so we're not too far. Definitely an A minus. I mean, it definitely wasn't perfect. I mean, obviously the match card was pretty much weak leading up to the final two matches. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I think this was a pretty solid Royal Rumble, and like I said, something a Royal Rumble that people remember fondly about. Um, just for like the surprise appearances, the surprising moments, obviously with Maven draw, you know, throwing that uh, mean drop kick, eliminating the Undertaker so early in his career, and you know Triple H winning. Obviously, we know where that led to. Yeah, yeah, I, I was gonna go to B plus because the undercard, yeah, it was lacking, but I feel like this. Royal Rumble is one of those Royal Rumbles that perfectly set up WrestleMania 18. Yeah. And Triple H was the clear was the clear winner here. So, you know, it it may have been predictable, but it's the clear winner. Yeah. So B plus for me. Yep, I, I, I definitely give it an A minus. Um definitely not one of the best pay per views of that year. Obviously, we're going to give this 
Yeah, uh, we'll get there. Rundown. We're, we're definitely getting there. Uh, this is just the beginning, obviously. This is the Royal Rumble, but it definitely got off on a good foot. So, DVD Freak, where can we find you on social media, my friend? DVD Freak on YouTube. Um, I have the hiccups. Damn. Uh, <laughs> shit. Um, DVD Freak on YouTube, Twitter, Twitter, and that's really about it. And the Wrestling DVD Room on Facebook. Um, not really one for social media, so. Right. Yeah, um, I used to have an Instagram, but not really my thing, so. Yeah, you know, social media is so negative nowadays. Yeah, it's, it's too new school for me. But, you know, we gotta communicate somehow. So, if you guys wanna find me on social media, of course you can find me on Facebook, Slash Danny Bryant. You can find me on Instagram at D underscore Banshee 187. You can now find me on Twitter at DanTheBeast94. And of course, you can find me on YouTube as DanTheBeast94. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. Especially if you're watching my channel and you're not subscribed. What are you doing? Hit that button. And until next time, this is the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast. Signing off. Have a good day, everybody. Peace out.